What a glorious night in the Lord. Amen? What a beautiful setting. And I just have to say, we've tried this for four straight years, and every year we've had rain. And the Lord has so blessed us. So this is a monumental night for more reasons than one. And as a church, we're finally able to enjoy an outdoor Good Friday service. Praise God. Amen. I, I was a little concerned with the zone, the sprinkler zone out here that's on. And I thought, okay, we're not getting rain from above, but maybe we're going to get some rain from the ground. I don't know. But I don't think that's the case. We, we were able to contact the pastor, and, and then he got a hold of the rental uh, person in charge of rental, Glenda Wild, and she assured me that, that, that this zone is off, so we're safe. But if I see some of you jump up quickly and run, I'll know to run too. We'll all, we'll all get up and go together. Okay. We do have access to the uh, Founders Hall or their Fellowship Hall, which is this building on the end. You have to go out and around the corner of this building, and there's an entry point. No, it's this building right here. Oh, we're going to do the service in there? No, no. So, no, I'm not. No, I was. I was speaking. I'm speaking simply that if we did have some kind of a rain situation, that would be the building that we're going to use. Now, for restroom, and that's what they're concerned about. You go through the double doors on this building and a hallway, and on the right-hand side, you've got a uh, men and women's bathroom. So, just so you're aware of that, you have access to uh, toiletries. Okay. Well, we're going to begin with prayer, and then uh, Pastor Brenton. And Pastor Ray are going to lead us in worship, and let's make this a glorious night. I think you have a, you should have a sheet music that has the songs. Does anybody not have that that would like it? Raise a hand. Okay, good. They, Robin and his team have done a great job getting getting it out. Okay, let's pray. Father, as we begin this service this evening with great joy in our hearts, we we worship you. These songs that we're going going to sing are worshipful. They place a tremendous amount of worth and value and love on, on you because you are the one who rescued us from our sins through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we, we worship now with joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, good evening, everyone. So good to be together today and uh, to get to celebrate uh, really what Christ did for us on the cross. And um, I want to share a verse before we start singing, because I always love to start with scripture and start with the word of God to lead us and guide us. Um, but I was reading an article uh, online this week, and a pastor was talking, and he said a woman in his church came to him, and she was upset because uh, uh, her son had come home crying. And he said, well, what happened? And she said, well, it was after Sunday school. And uh, he said that um, uh, the, the mom said, well, they had been talking about the death of Jesus, and it really upset him. And she, the mom was upset about this, but the pastor said, I couldn't help but let slip out. I wish that was still my reaction, uh, that I would still feel the weight of the moment. And, uh, you know, Good Friday is, is it's kind of a mixed service. There's a somber element to it as we think about the death of Christ on the cross. But there's also a joyful element to it when we think about the fact 
that he has finished the work he came to accomplish. All these songs that we're going to sing have uh, this line in it that Jesus said upon the cross that it is finished. And that's what we celebrate tonight. And so I just want to begin by reading from uh, John chapter 19. And this is the moment when Jesus dies and he makes this proclamation. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so as we sing tonight, let's uh, feel the weight of the lyric that we sing in the moment that we celebrate. But let's also sing with joy that our Savior has finished his work upon the cross. Would you please stand as we sing together? Oh 
the darkest day Christ on the road to Calvary Tried by sinful men Torn and beaten then Nailed to a cross of wood Oh, to see the pain Man 
take this moment to thank you for the Savior that you are, that your work has been finished upon the cross, that we can stand forgiven and freed and righteous, robed in the clothes of Christ. We could never thank you. We could never sing to you enough for that. We could never praise you enough for that. And Lord, we we hope that um, this time tonight is focused upon you and upon your glory. We pray this all in your name. Amen. You may be seated if you haven't already. I just want to say that if there are those of you who are having difficulty hearing, uh, the speaker is right here. And I would encourage you to just get up and bring your chair and park it right here in front of this front row so that you can hear better. I I really don't want anyone to not be able to hear what's what's happening as we study tonight. 
I, uh, I, I want to take a look, if we can, at, at the 13th chapter of John. This obviously is Good Friday. The focus of Good Friday is what happened during the week leading up to the crucifixion and the crucifixion. And so tonight, we are going to look at 1 John, and really, honestly, I'm only going to cover the first verse of chapter 13 although we will, we will do a jet tour through five chapters. Uh, so I just want to, it's not going to be long. I know it sounds long, it won't be. But I want to set up what this, the significance of Good Friday is and what it should mean to us today in this place. I, uh, if you'll remember, on Monday, uh, Jesus came into the city. We had the triumphal entry of Christ announcing, proclaiming that he is Messiah. Hundreds of thousands of people hailed him as the Messiah. On Tuesday, he goes right into the temple, and he drives out the money changers, and he addresses those who are representing the priesthood of that day in Jerusalem, but they are corrupt. And so he does business with them. He, he, he handles that matter. And then he also... On Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, he holds court in the temple court. And in that setting, he teaches, he gives uh, uh, parables, he communicates with people, he becomes very personable, helping people understand truth. And then he also addresses very abruptly and very forthrightly the religious leaders and the Pharisees. All of that happens between Tuesday and Thursday. But Thursday night comes, and this is Thursday night. This is what we are remembering tonight in John 13. On Thursday night, it is time for the Galileans to have their Passover, their Passover meal. Interestingly enough, all the way back in the Old Testament, there was the divided kingdom. And this was because of sin. The, the, Satan had torn apart the, 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 the church, the, or not the church, but the, the Jewish nation. And so in the north, you had the Galileans, and you had others in Samaria, and then you had the south. And the northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. And so interestingly enough, there were so many Jews who would gather for Passover, it wasn't possible to sacrifice all the lamb. Every single family would travel from afar, part of the dysphoria, and they would travel and they would come with a lamb or they would come with a turtle dove, whatever they could afford, for sacrifice at temple for Passover. There was no way to do all of that on the same evening. Plus, the Galileans didn't necessarily get along with the Judeans, and the Judeans in Jerusalem didn't get along with the Galileans. So, the Galileans would actually have their Passover on Thursday night, and then the next day, the Judeans would participate. So this is Thursday night, and, and it's a special night. I want you to look. If you have a Bible, you can turn, but let me just read for you. I know you don't, so I'm not expecting you to, have, to be able to turn, but if you can, that's great. Verse 1, chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
That one verse which kicks off Thursday night and the events taking through Easter on that Sunday, this one verse contains just about everything we need to draw the picture clearly. Uh, the way the verse begins, uh, it's, it's happening at the time of Passover feast. Again, uh, we don't know exactly you know, uh, all the details uh, leading up to the feast of Passover each year, but we do know, we don't know Jesus' birthday, we don't know the date of his baptism, but what we do know specifically is the exact time that he would have to go to the cross and die. It would have been on the 15th of Nisan in the year, they think, 30 A.D. at the Passover. So this is the night when, when things be, are set in motion for Christ. So when we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we are in the zone consistent with the Jewish calendar on the death of the Lord. So that's good. Now, on this Thursday night, our Lord meets with his disciples in that upper room. He will then leave and go through the dark streets of Jerusalem with his disciples, and they will end up in the Garden of Gethsemane, where some significant things take place. We'll cover that in a moment. But I want to, the reason I chose John's Gospel for our reading, our narrative understanding of this event, is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all draw the same consistent theme on these events, and it happens at a regular pace. It moves fairly quickly through the Gospels. John is much different. John covers the same, many of the same events, but when he comes to Thursday night, the week of Passover, all of a sudden, he goes into slow motion. Remember back, some of you who are older, when you first saw the video coming out of the, the Warren Report of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and there were bystanders who had video, and they collected those and put together a, a showing you what happened how, as it occurred. And in that video, uh, it's interesting. The, 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 the motorcade, the limousine that our president was in was cruising down, uh, you know, Elm Street, or actually not Elm Street, he was cruising down Houston Street, and then he turns on to Elm Street. Before he would turn, you'd look up and you'd see the book depository right there. And then he turned, and then all of a sudden, on the turn in that video, it goes into slow motion. Much like that. John is recording, according to the Holy Spirit, everything that's going to occur to Jesus. And he's going to take, get this, five chapters to cover it. That is how significant this is. That one gospel would cover Thursday to Sunday over five chapters. Now, let me add a filter to this very vivid experience that we're going to just cover quickly here. For a thousand years, the heart of Judaism rested with the temple. They had the temple in Jerusalem. And this was so significant because that is where God would meet as the priest on the Day of Atonement would go into the Holy of Holies and there God would receive the sacrifice. 
Interestingly enough, people would come and gather in the different courtyards outside the temple, different groups, but no person was allowed to go into the holy place. Only the priests were allowed to go in there. And then there was the holy of holies, and only the high priest was allowed to go in once a year. This is how significant the temple was to the Jews for a thousand years leading up to this event. Okay? That was the center of worship of Israel by God's design. But by the time we reach this moment in Jewish history when Jesus has now come into Jerusalem and he's ready to die, listen, the temple is no longer God's. It has been turned into a den of robbers. It has been overrun by a corrupt priesthood. Jesus himself is basically essentially saying that it's run by Satan because it's full of false apostate priests, corrupted leaders who Jesus said, your father is the devil. And they're in charge of the temple. So this event, you need to have that in the backdrop. This is the perfect time for our Savior to come and set people free of the bondage of corruption, of the bondage of sin, of the bondage of Satan. But in the midst of this bad news about the Jerusalem temple, there's really good news. Because while the physical edifice of the temple was corrupt, there was a holy temple present there. Jesus himself. This is really awesome. Tonight as we look at John 13, we're going to enter the true holy place. Not the temple in Jerusalem because that's an unholy place. But a genuinely holy place. In our study, we're going to look at the disciples who Jesus brings along with him into this holy place. They are with him. They are with the holy. And he's allowing them to experience something that is far greater than what occurs in the temple. Peter actually spoke of this. He calls the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people of his own possession, those who are called to proclaim the excellencies of the glorious one who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Peter understood at least that much. He got it. He understood that this is special. And those disciples were part of that holy priesthood. Jesus being our great high priest. Amen? So what our Lord does in this holy place is going to communicate to the true priests the disciples, that he has prepared everything for this night. This is significant. This holy place is a place where they commune with the living Lord and he unfolds for them heaven's provision, a provision for power, a provision for protection, a provision for peace, a provision for eternal triumph. He's going to communicate with them the divine promises of God. When you go from chapter 13, or actually 14, 15, and 16, three whole chapters, it is nothing but Jesus sharing the promises of God for this royal priesthood, holy nation. You and I, 
are that royal priesthood. You and I are that holy nation. Amen? That's what the scripture says. That's what Peter tells us. And, and he's going to do all of that before he gets to chapter 17, where now he goes before the Father and he intercedes for the true priesthood, you and I. Along the way that night, as they leave the upper room, the holy place stops. He stops at the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he prays. All along, through that moving holy place, that true royal priesthood, these guys are seeing it, experiencing it. And you think, what kind of prayer was he praying? I, I got it in my demented thoughts. I'm thinking he's praying, Father, why did you choose these knuckleheads? They forget stuff all the time. They don't seem to understand that I'm going to die and, and be raised from the dead. They, they're questioning everything. They're filled with doubt from time to time, from day to day. I'm having to deal with guys who are saying which one of us gets to sit on the right and which one sits on the left. And then I get a little further down the road and then their mother comes up and says, which of my sons is on the right and on the left? These guys are envious, jealous, self-centered, self-focused. Lord, can you give me the plan B group? Let's get rid of these knuckleheads. That's what I would think. Oh. He intercedes that the promises of God would come to these men. That's what grace is. Undeserved love. Do you not think that God sees the church, the priesthood, and recognizes there's all kinds of people in the church and everybody's got issues and nobody's on the same page at the same time? It's so hard because we're all coming from different backgrounds and we have our own perspectives and our own personalities. And some would look at that and go, I'm throwing my hands up and getting out of here because there's just no way this church thing works. Jesus intercedes for his church, you and I. He never stops interceding. That prayer in John 17, if you've not, pray, if you've not read that priestly prayer, you are missing out on seeing how much our Lord loves us. He didn't throw in the hat. He didn't quit. He didn't walk away. He didn't ask for new disciples. He lifted them up, every one of them. He's lifting you up and me up constantly, even though we fall short like the disciples. Isn't that wonderful to know that that's how much the Lord loves us? Well, I want, to, I want to maybe shift gears here a little bit. This is a picture, what we see happening in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus praying to the Father. This is a picture of him praying to the church, the future. It's a type. Just as he was praying for the disciples that he had given all these wonderful promises for three straight chapters, this is also what he's giving to us. We have it. We, we've had it. As long as you've been saved, those promises have been available to you. God, God desires that you would walk in the promises that he's given you, that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a chosen people, a people that have been set apart from darkness and brought into His marvelous light that you might proclaim for all the days that you live the precious name of Jesus on this earth. And our Savior's praying for you as you do that. Now, I want to just look, if we can, at verse 1 of chapter 13. Let me just read it for you. Now, again, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and look what it says here. Now we know the motivation for why he prayed that prayer in John 17. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. First of all, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them before that night. He loved them when they were making silly decisions, when they were not understanding what he was saying. He loved them. He loved them from the foundation of the world when their names were written in the book of life. And then it says this, and he loved them to the end. He's never going to stop loving you and me. That's the motivation for what he's going to do on the cross. It is a suffering Christ who was willing to show us how much he loves us by obeying the Father and dying on the cross for our sins. This was the motivation. All the grace, all the mercy, all the boundless blessings, all the lavish gifts that are poured out forever on those who belong to him are the product of this infinite divine love that Jesus has for us. And with full knowledge of their ignorance, and he understood exactly where these guys were at, the full understanding of their selfishness, of their self-centeredness, of their doubt, their lack of faith at times, in, in spite of all that, he loved them from before all the way to the end. Are you not thankful to have that kind of a God who loves you? If we borrow from Luke's record, Luke said it this way, in the evening when the hour had come, he came and sat down in the 12 apostles with him. And when he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I'm going to suffer. Now, now look, I am not one that cares to know all the details about the future in this world. I don't really care to know what's going to happen in a year. Uh, right now, I, I think all hell is breaking loose on this earth and in North America. And honestly, I don't want to spend my time and energy thinking about how bad it's going to get and what exactly is going to happen. I do believe some bad things are ahead of us. But I'm not going to spend all my time trying to know the future. Okay? Jesus made it very clear when he said in, John, or in, uh, in chapter 6, verse 33, uh, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble in itself. And there will be suffering tomorrow, he said. Now, that's me. I don't want to know how I'm going to suffer in a year, how I'm going to suffer in five years, 
how when I, as I stand for Jesus in the future, I'm going to be persecuted. I, I don't, look, God will give me what I need when I am suffering. I don't need to try in my mind to, to anticipate that, okay? But that's not our Lord. He knew everything that was going to happen to him. I can't imagine because, yes, he's fully God, but he was also fully man. That means it had to stay in his conscious every day at some point. I can't imagine the anguish, the agony that he suffered mentally as he thought about what was ahead of him to go and suffer the way he would suffer, knowing it full well how he would suffer that he might set us free from sin. Wow. What a great Lord. Amen? What a great God. So as Passover drew near, the large number of Jewish pilgrims who were scattered have now come to Jerusalem. This is the time that God chose to put His Son on full display as God and as the suffering Savior who would die for the sins of mankind. All of the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection would be seen and heard about throughout Jerusalem. And you're talking three to four million Jews that are in that city at this time. Then they would disperse and go back to their homelands, the places that they had settled, many, many, many miles away. And they would communicate and herald this gospel truth about Jesus. At least that was the opportunity they had. In John 18, 4, it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, so he's prepared, he knows where he's going, he knows what's about to happen. But then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Who for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He saw what was going to happen on the cross, the suffering, the agony, the anguish, but he also saw beyond that that God would raise him from the dead, that he would return to glory and sit at the right hand. He saw that, all of it. And yet, interestingly enough, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He took on every ounce of pain. Okay, so people say, well, okay, so he died a crucifixion death. There's people that have died bad deaths. What makes him so special? They didn't know it from the time they were born, how they would die. They didn't feel it from day to day. They didn't feel the anguish of loss. No wonder our Savior broke out in blood coming through his pores. His capillaries burst open. No wonder he suffered on the cross so greatly. He had been bearing this his whole life. No human being suffered the way Jesus suffered for us. That's how unique, that's how special he is. And then he comes to chapter 17, and he says in verse 5, John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words, I'm going to be faithful to your plan 
and obey it down to every jot and tittle. May you be glorified in my obedience and may I be glorified by you that I could return to my state of glorification. But in between, between eternity past and his future return, our Savior paid the ultimate price for us. And he will love us to the end. So on that night that he was betrayed by Judas, Jesus, after the dinner hour, and they had their Seder meal, the Passover meal, this would be, by the way, that night when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, this would be the last legitimate Passover meal ever given. And Jesus had that meal, just as all the Jews did in Jerusalem on that night. The next thing he did after the meal, he instituted a new covenant with the priesthood. He said, no longer will it be thousands and millions of animals sacrificed at the temple. I'm going to become the sacrificial lamb. I'm going to make a new way for us to experience the holy, not holy place, the holy of holies. You and I can go all the way into the throne room of God and receive help in our time of need every single day because of what Jesus was doing. And so, what did he do? Well, I'm going to move away from the mic. Let me see if I can... Oh, here we go. I'm set right here. Night that he was with his disciples after the Seder meal, then he took bread. He gave thanks for it. And he distributed it to his disciples the priesthood and he said take and eat this is my body forget about rams and lambs and all the animals this is my body given for you it's going to be different they, they didn't fully understand what he was saying in the moment they did later but he was he knew that the next day he would be hanging on the cross in a specific amount of time that God the Father had ordained for him as the Passover lambs are being slain the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world was being slain on the cross. Tonight we're going to come in just a moment and give you the opportunity to take bread and to, to remember what your loving Savior did for you, knowing full well what was coming from the foundation of the world. And when he came into this life and was fully human, he felt what you and I would feel if we knew the future, our future. And he did it for you. He then took He then took the cup and he said, "This is a new covenant in my blood." No longer are you going before the priest with your sacrifice and letting the blood be poured out as, as a covering of your sin? The reality is the sin still existed, but it was covered. God covered it. That's not what this represents. This is better than the Passover meal. This 
Jesus said is a new covenant in my blood. This, by this covenant, you aren't just covered, you are redeemed. You're no longer one who God found a way to cover up your ugliness and your sinfulness. God said, no, let me go ahead and put on my son all the ugliness of the sin of my people. And in place, as a substitute, Jesus will take on my sin and your sin, but in its place, I will put in them my son's righteousness. I know that some of you struggle with what you've done in the past and how you can't forgive yourself and you still see your sins. That is not what God sees. He has taken your sin through the work of Christ on the cross and they've been thrown away into the sea of forgetfulness, the Bible says. They're remembered against you never again. That is what it means to be justified by, by faith. Just as if I never sinned. It's a new start. And you have it through Christ. You have it. A new beginning. And it happened when you were saved. And you're just as righteous and just as saved as you were the first day that you received Him. you got to believe it. Our Savior went to the cross that you might have it. Walk in it. So we're going to come this evening, and this is, I love just the fact it's not organized. It's kind of like a disorganized, you know, Holy Spirit move. Okay, um, but you'll just come forward, and do we have a couple uh, men, ushers, or ladies, whoever, to come and prepare the tables? We do have a couple plates. We kind of put them on the backside and hid them because the wind was blowing. So we've got gluten-free bread that we're setting out for you as well if you need that, but we've got this bread and, and all you have to do is reach in and take one piece of bread and then reach into the cup, take a cup and go ahead and return to your seat and then hopefully we can do this together as a church family, this new covenant established in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So feel free to rise if you would and come. If it's too difficult for anybody to come up here and 
um, somebody needs to be served, if you could just raise your hand, we'll have one of the ushers come to you and bring the elements to you. I'd like to try to drive the point home again before we partake of the elements how much you are forgiven 
and how God does not hold your past sin over you. Not even your future sin does he hold over you. You are saved. There was a gentleman who was from England and he was going to do a two-month tour through part of Europe. But before he left, he went down to the Rolls-Royce dealership and bought a brand new Rolls-Royce. And he said, I'm going to make a request of you. I'd like for you to get it across the English Channel, and I'll pick it up, and I want to drive my new Rolls-Royce in Europe. And they said, we'll take care of that. That's not a problem. And when he got there, he got his car, and he took off, and it wasn't a day into the journey, and the car broke down, a Rolls-Royce. He called the dealership, and he said, we've got a problem. And they said, we'll be right there. They sent a team of mechanics over immediately, and they repaired the car by evening. He was back on the road. So after his couple months touring Europe, he had the car shipped back. He went home, and he was hoping to see what the bill would be from when, he had his, when his car broke down. There was no bill. So he got on the phone, he called and spoke to the person in charge and said, my Rolls Royce broke down and you guys fixed it. I need to see the bill. And the man said, sir, we have absolutely no record that your car broke down. He said, yes, it did. It's a Rolls Royce and it broke down. He said, sir, we have never had a Rolls Royce break down. End of story. I'm telling you, from God's view, you are justified. And if that doesn't just thrill your heart and take it up a notch as we think about what he paid for us. So he took the bread and he said, give thanks for it. Remember that it's my body broken for you. Let's take and eat. And then he took the cup and he said to his priest, he says to you and I, his priest, this is a new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Let's do that. Join me in prayer. Lord, it is sometimes difficult for us in this human body to fathom someone loving us to the end. But we have a Savior who loved us before the beginning. And He agonized over the suffering that He would endure in our behalf. But for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. We are so thankful that tonight we find our life in Him through the resurrection, but we're also thankful that through the cross we have been reconciled fully back to God. And we are one with God. And we are a royal priesthood and holy nation. We are the chosen people of God. 
and we can now enter boldly into the throne of grace and receive help in our time of need. There is no longer only one who can enter the Holy, Holy of Holies. Every one of us who is saved has full access to receive help in our time of need. Oh, thank you, God, for what you have done for your children. We receive it with thanksgiving in our hearts and a worshipful, loving heart back to you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Look at that wind blow. That's the Lord right there just saying, Amen. Good to see all of you. We, we purposefully wanted to finish up around the bottom of the hour because it gives a little time for people who are older to get home before dark, and that's important. But we don't want to rush you in your fellowship, so make sure you take a moment and fellowship with one another tonight. Thank you so much for coming out to this special service. One day, church, we will have our own grounds and we'll do this. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. God bless you.